Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from July 17th by Brother Todd Burgess, titled Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. And, uh, you know, as we've been going through Matthew, beginning way back in chapter 3, we looked at real salvation. What is genuine salvation? And that real salvation requires repentance, recognizing that you're a sinner, uh, that you're born that way. And that Jesus is the only way to get rid of that sin that, and to, to, to get you away from the judgment of God where all sinners wind up without Christ. And as we went on through chapter 3, we, we went into chapter 4 after the baptism of Christ and we saw that uh, Jesus really, he's, he's doing all, Matthew's writing all this down. Jesus does, does everything as, for our benefit so we can learn from him. And so the, it shows a place in our life as Christians. We must devote time to prayer. We must devote time to fasting so we can, we can begin to discern and, and, and identify what God has for us to do, the works he has for us to do. Because every child of God has a work that God has for you to be doing. Those works have been preordained before the foundations of this world. And we need to be doing those works. And so that's where prayer and fasting comes in. In a, in a Christian's life, it ought to be a regular part of a Christian's life. Jesus nowhere says um, when and where and how. He just says do it. Okay? And so as God leads and lays on your heart, that's when you do it. And then as we go into chapter 5, one thing I haven't, and I want to make very clear the reason we gather today, the reason, reason we come together as a church is for one reason and one reason only, folks. And what is that reason? It's to worship God. That's it. It's to worship holy God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The, the three in one. That the Bible talks about. We're here to worship God. The Beatitudes. Jesus is teaching his disciples here how to worship. We need to understand that. Again, Jesus is not teaching the multitudes here. He's made it very clear, Matthew made it very clear in the first verse that. He's not teaching the multitudes. He is teaching because he went up in the mountains, left the multitudes down in the valley, and then his disciples joined him up in the mountains. And we won't see Jesus talking to the multitudes until chapter 8, verse 1 again. Okay? Well, understand, he's teaching his disciples. Jesus has been, and there's been probably a whole year has gone by since his baptism until this point. He had a whole process of calling his disciples, introducing themselves in their lives. I mean, he's teaching us how to be mature Christians, how to be disciple makers, what he's doing. He's giving the example here. And now he's teaching his disciples about what it means to truly worship God. And the only way we can worship God is we have to worship God in the spirit of God. 
Because the Holy Spirit of God is in us, and we have to worship God through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And what does the Holy Spirit require from us? Well, the first thing we saw in verse 3 was to live in the Spirit of God, you simply had to be poor in spirit. Otherwise, allowing the Holy Spirit in us to bring forth that godly humility. This isn't something you or I can create. We can't establish this in ourselves. Because if we try to be humble to a point, guess what's going to happen? God's going to bring a situation. He's going to arrange some circumstances where your humility is going to fail you. But God's humility in us will not fail us. And that's what we have to understand. You want to know if you're, if you're walking according to the flesh or walking according to the spirit? Well, how well are you getting through the circumstances of life? There's the key. And so you have to have that godly, that godly humility that allows the Holy Spirit to work through us to accomplish the Father's work. We all have works we're to be doing. Good works, the Bible says, but those good works are good works that God has set before you, not the ones you choose to do. Well, the second thing we saw was the second step here in, in worshiping God and living in the Spirit of God. The second step builds off that godly humility. In verse 4, it enables us to, to mourn over our sin as we confess it before God. Folks, I love, and I'm jealous, forgive me, Lord, of, of the story of Christ, that Christina gave. That story never popped into my mind, but it's a perfect example of mourning over our sin, folks. And I, God did it that way on purpose because he, he wanted that to be brought today. We as Christians must mourn over our sin. But you know what? We're not going to mourn over our sin if we don't have that godly humility in our lives. See, these things are steps. They build upon one another. And folks, we need to do this. This is all about worshiping God. We can come into these doors. We can come and sit in these pews. We can come sing these songs. But if we're not don't have that godly humility, we don't have that godly sorrow over our own sin that we commit on a daily basis. Folks, we cannot worship Almighty God. We'll go through the motions, but we cannot worship Almighty God. You see, and, and the key here with all these Beatitudes is all about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And the key here is that first word in every one of these verses where it says, blessed, blessed. And when, you, when you see a word used over and over and over again, folks, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to it. And just like in verse five, it says, blessed, are the meek. Well, blessed there refers to one who possesses the favor of God. It is that state of living in the Spirit of God. And you cannot live in the Spirit of God unless you have godly humility, unless you have godly sorrow over your sin, and as we're going to look at today, unless you have this meekness. This meekness. You see, when you're living in the Spirit of God, it results, the results in your life means that you're being fully satisfied with where you're at, no matter what your circumstances are. And I'm going to tell you, there's a bunch of things out there. Well, if you become a Christian, God's going to make everything good in your life. He's going to get you through 
Folks, that's a bunch of lies. You become a child of God, and the Holy Spirit of God moves and works within you. Guess what? Life is going to get complicated. Life is going to get troubled. It's going to get hard. Because living a Christian life is hard. Look at Jesus, the Son of God. Look at his life. Look at his suffering. In fact, the Bible says we learn more from our suffering than we do anything else. If they persecuted me, Jesus says they're going to persecute you. And so if they're not persecuting you, if the world is not persecuting you, the question is, why not? Why not? Are we not being his witnesses? Are we not worshiping God when we come together? Are we not worshiping God Monday through Saturday in our devotional times, in our private times, in our prayer times, at work, at home, while we're out fishing, while we're doing, are we not worshiping God in those, those times? The problem is, we're probably not doing that. You see, our satisfaction comes from allowing God by his spirit to work out his plan through us. And folks, let me tell you so many times, God's plan is going to bring hardships in our lives. It's going to bring pain. It's going to bring uh, sacrifice. It's going to cause suffering in our lives as a child of God. You see, it shows that we're walking in the spirit, not the flesh. But now, don't, don't take me wrong. There is a lot of joy in serving God. That's why Paul, when he was being beaten, whipped, and thrown in the prison, could sit there and sing praises to God. There's a lot of joy that comes through this as we recognize who our God is and who we are. Sinners saved by grace. And folks, this should be seen not just here. It's easy to be a Christian here, but it should be seen out there. And this is what Matthew is writing about. He's writing about how we are to worship God. And so this third one we're looking at, this third beatitude is blessed are the meek. Now meek is simply uh, uh, being mild, just being gentle. That's what it means. Okay? One whose character and mannerisms are kind and tender toward others, regardless of what they have done or have not done to you. See, meekness doesn't depend on other people. It depends upon the Spirit of God in you. Humility doesn't depend upon what other people do. It depends upon the Spirit of God in you. Mourning over our sin doesn't depend upon people around you. It depends upon the Spirit of God in you, in me. The same is true in the meekness that we see here. See, this is a compassion that God gives and it should be expressed to those around you by your actions, by your words, regardless of what they have done. Now, let me clarify some things here. This does, being meek does not mean you're weak, folks. It doesn't mean you're a doormat and get stomped all over. Being meek 
is demonstrated by great strength that is under control of the Spirit of God. Think about this. Here's Jesus. Here's the best example. Matthew 21, verse 5 says, Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and the colt of a foal of an ass. Here is King Jesus, who is king of kings and lord of lords, who is God of all creation, riding into Jerusalem on the colt in humility and gentleness, mildly before Israel, knowing that they're going to reject him. And he's what? He's weeping over them because they did not recognize the day and time of their hour. And he was right in front of them. That is strength under control. Jesus could have came in a white horse and just conquered Rome like everyone wanted the Messiah to do, but that was not God's plan. Because God does not want a bunch of people, a bunch of sinners to worship him. God wants a bunch of folks who have recognized their sin, who have turned to Jesus, and who are righteous before God because of what Jesus did. See, meekness is strength under control. And so we ought to practice this same meekness. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 4, it says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. See, that's talking about meekness, that hidden man of the heart. In that which is not corruptible, even the, ornate, the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is the sight of God of great price. That hidden man of the heart See, the hidden man of the heart is something that the Holy Spirit in us does. It's not something you and I can do on our own. I hope you're seeing a trend here. All these beatitudes are something that God does in us. It's nothing we can do ourselves. Because we can try to do it ourselves, and we'll get so far, and then God will bring something and says, ah, see, everything you're doing was of the flesh. I wasn't in it. Otherwise, you would have passed this test as well but you didn't. And that's, that's all the Holy Spirit does. He shows us where we stand before God. I'll, I don't like the tests, but we need the tests. It keeps us humble. It keeps us mourning over our sin. It keeps us meek. Why? So that we can reach the world for Jesus. They don't see us, they see Jesus in us. And that's the reason so many are not getting saved today because Christians are not people that they don't see Jesus in us, they see us. And that's, that has to change. It has to change. And so how is this meekness shown? Well, it's hard to describe. I just try to come up with a bunch of words that, that are there. It's seen by forbearance. It's showing patience. It's self-control. It's restraint. It's compassion. These are all points of meekness, if you will. Okay? But again, it's what the Holy Spirit of God is doing within each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 4.21 says, What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? Now, Paul here is talking to the Corinthian church. Knowing all the, I mean, that, 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 the Corinthian church was known as that carnal church. Hadn't learned to mature in Christ. Had all sorts of problems. And Paul was saying, 
How should I come to you? Should, do I need to come and just beat you over the head with, with a rod? He says, but no. I need to do what Christ did. I got to come to you in meekness and in love. Imploring you to do what's right. I mean, think about this. Peter, I mean, Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. He didn't come out and tell him. He says, I just prayed that when, you're, when Satan's done sifting you, Peter, that the Father would bring you back to me. And that's what we need to do. That's, that's meekness. Jesus knew it, but yet sometimes he knows we have to learn from our mistakes. We've got to learn from those mistakes. See, Paul was dealing with the Corinthian church who were very much immature Christians. Many churches today have many immature Christians. I've, I've mentioned Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken to fall, ye which are spiritual, otherwise ye which are mature in Christ, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, concerning thyself, thus you're also tempted. See, there's, we need to grow into maturity as Christians. How many of us want to walk around like two-year-old like two kids? Running around? None of us do, right? We need to become adults. Well, the same thing is true in our Christian walk. We need to mature in Christ. Where we're not wearing these chips on our shoulders that dare you to knock it off and, you know, no. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. See, this, this is what Paul was doing to the Corinthian church. He didn't come with a rod. He came with meekness. And so instructing those that oppose themselves. See, this is what a mature Christian understands because of the Spirit of God in them that what someone is doing, what another Christian is doing and is sinful, they're, all they're doing is hurting themselves. They're not hurting anyone else. And so he says, and he's, he's teaching Timothy, he says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth. You can't convict someone of the of, of truth. I can't. Our job is simply to show them the word of God and, hope, and allow the Holy Spirit of God to, to convince people of the truth. It's that way when witnessing to someone who doesn't, doesn't know Jesus, you don't need to convince them. Just tell them the truth. Show them the word of God. The Holy Spirit does the work, does the rest, does all the convicting. Okay? And the same thing happens with Christians who are in sin. Show them the truth. And before you do it, you should have bathed it all in prayer. You should have bathed it all in, in tears over, over their sin that they're doing. But if you're not mourning over your own sin, you're not going to mourn over their sin. See how this, see how this works together? And this, this is how it brings us together in worship of God. Titus 3.2 says, To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. See, when we allow those around us to dictate our mood and our emotions, what does that reveal in us? That we're not a mature Christian. It shows that we're a carnal Christian. We're operating in the flesh because 
nothing that you do should affect my relationship with Jesus Christ and my walk with God. Shouldn't do it. If it does, it's because I love it. And I love it because I'm in the flesh. See, all these things are, are, are triggers that show where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we as Christians have to learn to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. And folks, that's painful. I hate that. Okay? Because it means I have to change something or I have to allow the Holy Spirit in me to change something. And too often we don't want that to happen because we're comfortable where we are. And so we have to understand here, and this is, this is something that's very important, living in the Spirit of God is not based on outward expressions of emotions and feelings. Folks, I don't see a lot of, you know, is that truth? Either amen or oh me, one of the two. See, it's based upon that inward grace of the soul. It reveals that one has been touched by the Holy Spirit of God. It reveals that hidden man of the heart. When you can, when you can go into situations and deal with a person that has ridiculed you and put you down, has all kinds of stuff, and you can show the love of Christ to them, it shows where you're at in God. It's not nothing you've done. It's what God has done in you. You know what happens when we get Christians that are living this way? We don't have problems with gossip. We don't have problems with slander. We don't have problems with all this backbiting. We don't have problems with all these things in the church that go on. Don't have it because it's not there. But when you have those things, it shows you have a lot of immature Christians that need to be encouraged and brought up in, in, in Christ. And it means those that are more spiritual need to do the greater work of humbling themselves to exhort and to lift others up. See, that hidden man of the heart, that, this meekness, this is, this is a calmness toward God and others, which won't make sense to those operating in the flesh, but it's perfect sense to those who are operating in the Spirit. In fact, sometimes... People are going to get mad because there's calm in a, in, a, in a hard situation. Now, I'm not to say that just because we, you're being emotional and something doesn't mean you're, not, you're, you're operating the flesh. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. Jesus wept. Okay? You know, I didn't understand that. God created emotions for a purpose, but they need to be used for God's glory, not our own. Okay? And so we, we have to keep, we can't let, let our emotions drive us, but God can use them for, for great things. You see, it's the acceptance, this hidden man of the heart, this, this calmness is the acceptance of God's good in our lives. And it may not be pleasant, but what's taking place and we're accepting it is going to enhance our closeness. It's going to enhance our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And by virtue of that, those others around us will be drawn into Christ as well. Or our life will push them away 
understand that. There's two choices. When you, when you come in the presence of, a, of, of, of someone walking in the Spirit of God, you're going to be drawn to Christ and, and, and encouraged to come in, or you're going to want to walk away because you don't want what's taking place because you love your sin too much. Two choices. And so this inward meekness always flows outward to those around us. It does. See, this is demonstrated by, by the Lord Jesus many times. Jesus expressed his anger toward those who were rebuking him because he had done good on the Sabbath. I always, I always like it. You look at all, most of the miracles Jesus did were always on Saturday. They were always on the Sabbath day. Why? Because he was teaching the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those, those groups, religious leaders, about, about what, what the day of the Lord was all about. It was about doing good things, helping people, not pushing people away. And he, Jesus was angered, but he didn't sin. Jesus wept, but he didn't sin. See, we have to understand that. But yet when Jesus was dealing with like the woman at the well, she was searching after God. And so he, did, she, he didn't sit there and say, well, you're an adulteress. You've you got five guys you've been with, and the one you're with now is not your husband. I mean, what kind of a woman are you? No, he didn't do any of that stuff. And his compassion toward her, he told her the truth in love. See, those that are searching, that are seeking after God, Jesus responded to in meekness. We need to do the same. The woman caught in adultery, and it just showed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, because if they were following Moses' law in Deuteronomy, they should have brought the man as well, since they were, quote, caught in the very act. Shows their hypocrisy. And Jesus said, you without sin cast the first stone and bent down and started scribbling something in the sand. Now, it's not important what he scribbled in the sand. Nobody knows. Otherwise, the word of God would have told us. The importance was, when Jesus looked up, everyone was gone except the one woman was there. And Jesus said, I condemn you. I, I also do not condemn you. But go and sin no more. Otherwise, what you were doing, you know, was wrong. Don't, don't, you need to change. You need to follow me. That's what he's saying. And see, this brings up a very important point here. Meekness, being meek in God's spirit, never, and I'm going to say this again, never compromises, tolerates, or condones what the Bible refers to as sin in any manner. Okay? We're to love the sinner. We're to hate the sin. We never compromise the word of God. The Bible says choose life in every situation. You choose life. And I've said this before. God is the giver of life. God takes away life. It's his choice, not mine, not yours. That's what the Bible teaches. And I had to counsel my, 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 my son. And, and, and 
and his wife Hannah, who had a child and came very close to her losing her life. I said, choose life. You do everything you can to save both lives. And praise God, I got a great little grandson and, a, and I still have a good daughter-in-law. You choose life like God chooses who lives and who dies. It's not our choice. We're pro-life. The Bible is pro-life. See, we can't compromise. We have to follow God's word. After all, it's his word, right? It's not my word. I can't pick and choose what scriptures in I want to pick and what I want to live by. Those that do that are living in the flesh. And those that do that, sometimes I wonder, are they truly saved? Because if you can't believe the Bible over here, how can you believe what the Bible says about salvation? It's either all God's word or it's not God's word. And that's what Southern Baptists believe, folks. The absolute inerrancy of the word of God. Amen. And so that's important for us to realize. Being meek doesn't tolerate, compromise, condone sin. And so we have to understand that. And yes, that means there'll be some hard choices we have to make. But if you honor the word of God, you'll honor Christ. He'll honor you and he'll get you through whatever circumstance you're going through. Whichever way it goes. Because see, meekness, one thing else meekness never does, it never blames God for the persecutions and the evil doings of people. It doesn't blame God. God's not the author of sin. We are. Satan was. You have to understand that. Not rendering evil for evil, according to 1 Peter 3, 9, or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Turn the other cheek. Someone sues you in court for one thing, give them, every, give them, give them more. See, that's meekness. So blessed are the meek. What's the reward of meekness? They shall inherit the earth. Inherit the earth. You see, this means to be an heir to any person or thing. And here it is speaking only of the friends of God as receiving admission into the kingdom of heaven and all the privileges that come with that. In real salvation, you're a child of God. How well you live in the Spirit of God determines how well you're, how, much, how many blessings you'll have in heaven when you get there. Because gold, silver, precious stone, they'll go through the fire at the judgment seat of Christ. Works of the flesh, wood, hail, and stubble gets all burned up. You're still saved but you won't have very many rewards. So based on how well you live in obedience to God on this earth will be revealed how well and where you're at, what your status in heaven will be. That's what the Bible teaches. 
But now God can choose to give some of that blessing here on this earth. He can. But it's up for him to do that, not us, to strive for those things. We We need to strive to be obedient to God. And he may add those things in. You know? I'm not a millionaire. and want to know why? Because I wouldn't use it right. And God knows that. God, Paul wanted this thorn of the flesh removed. And God said, no, you need that thorn in the flesh. You know? God knows what we need and what we don't need. Trust him. But he'll provide our needs, he says. Maybe not all our wants. But he'll provide those things if we trust him. But he'll inherit the earth. Folks, that's a blessing. You know, part of that blessing, inherit the earth, literally means this earth. Literally means you will, there will come a time during the thousand year reign of Christ, you will reign on this earth. Depending on how faithful you are in the here and now, before the rapture takes place. Which means there may be some, you always hear that story that, of that, who, who, is, who sits in the right hand of God? Only, only the Father knows. Jesus said, I don't know. Only the Father knows. It might be that unsung hero no one ever thought about, no one ever did anything, but they were faithful to God all their life. During that thousand year reign of Christ, we're going to rule and reign with Christ on this earth. Some of us may be in charge of nations. Others may be in charge of just ten people. Hey, still blessing from God. We need to learn to be faithful. We need to learn to be meek. We need to have that godly humility which produces that godly sorrow which produces that godly meekness, that inner man of the, of the heart. And when that happens, that hidden man of the heart, now we're able to begin to be that witness to our families, friends, co-workers, those people that don't know Jesus. Because we'll have their best interest at heart and we'll be willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit leads us to do to get them to acknowledge who Jesus is. Because they see Jesus in us, they don't see us. And they're going to want to know, who, who are you? Why are you doing this? Because Jesus did it for me. Let's stand and pray. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.